When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. One of our favorite writers has a new book out, John Le Carre. It's called Agent Running in the Field. He's now 88 years old. He's written 26 books, which have been published in 50 countries and 40 languages. They're about loyalty and betrayal. Many are about the ambiguities of the Cold War. Our protagonist in the new Le Carre is Nat. He's a 47-year-old veteran of Britain's secret intelligence service. He believes his years running agents in the field are over. He's been put out to pasture by headquarters at a place called The Haven, a decrepit building in the back streets of North London that we are told is the office's home for lost dogs. For comment, we turn to John Powers. He's best known as critic at large on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. His reviews are heard by something like 3 million people on every NPR station in the country. He's also been a film critic for Vogue and before that, the LA Weekly. And he's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and The Nation. His books include Sore Winners. It's about George Bush's America and WKW about the wonderful Hong Kong director Wong Kar Wai. John Powers, welcome back. Glad to be here. So, Nat, our protagonist, is not only a runner of spies, he's also a passionate badminton player. Tell us about his regular opponent, Ed. Well, he is the champion at his local club. And one day he's just won a match, and this young man comes bullying his way up and insists on playing him this guy named Ed. And at first he doesn't want to, but the guy's just so insistent that he finally agrees to play Ed. And so they begin playing and Ed turns out to be a really good badminton player. So they kind of bond and they would play badminton and afterwards they will go have a beer. And over beer, Ed will talk about how much he hates Brexit, how much he hates Trump, and basically be outraged by the state of the way the country's going. And, and that's their relationship. Ed does have a certain kind of eloquence. He calls Brexit an unmitigated clusterfuck, an act of self-immolation in which the British public is being marched over a cliff by a bunch of rich, elitist carpetbaggers posing as men of the people. So Ed is the kind of wild and crazy guy in contrast to our protagonist, Nat, who it gets to be the calm and reasonable one. 
Yes, and, and the interesting thing is that Nat essentially agrees with Ed on Brexit and Trump. But, of course, he, he, he's suave, and Ed is, comes from a, a kind of a religious background of the kind that E.P. Thompson used to write about, where he's a true believer. And so, therefore, he's passionate and unironic, whereas Nat's job has always been to be the slick, charming one. So you never quite know what he thinks, except we know because he's the narrator of the book, and we know that he essentially agrees with Ed. And Ed is really not very appealing. He's kind of unpleasant. He's kind of awkward, kind of a loser socially. And, and politically, he's utterly predictable. Yes, he seems like a cliche of something. And he doesn't fit into his world. You know, and as, as you're reading, you don't know where this is going to go. You know he's important because it's a John le Carré novel. And the book begins with a badminton challenge that clearly has to mean something. And because he's named Ed, you think, oh, you know, is he Edward Snowden? Is he Edward R. Murrow? Is, you know, there are lots of Eds out there. And so you're trying to figure out what he's going to be. But you, don't, you, really, you just know he matters, but you don't know why. And there's another character on the team of misfits and losers, there's one who doesn't fit in, and it's a young woman named Florence Flo. Tell us about her. Florence is sort of a rising star, but the one fear that the service has about her is that she feels, maybe feels things too intensely. She's too emotional. She hasn't yet learned to be as cold-blooded as the most classically cold-blooded one is George Smiley. They're training her in the haven in order to make her less human than, than she is. Her politics seem once again to be kind of aligned to the anti-Brexit, anti-Trump thing, but that's less explicit than in the case of Ed. Agent running in the field is being promoted by the publisher as Le Carre's Brexit book. Seems to me it's more than that. Oh, it is. Well, I mean, Brexit doesn't really figure in so much. I mean, it does figure in in the sense that the, the character Ed is constantly attacking Brexit. But it fits into, the, I think, the larger pattern of Le Carre's books about, especially the British ruling classes, delusional desire to matter and feel important in the world. So it's also a book about keeping Europe together. It's a book about one of, his, one of the great Le Carre themes is the way that the United States is the big bully boy. And that although Le Carre dislikes the U.S. for that, what he really dislikes are the people of his social class sucking up to the U.S. in order to have an illusion that they have, are powerful and matter in the world. You know, all the way through the books, that's like one of the great underlying themes. Yeah, and while Ed is obsessed with Brexit, Florence has her own preoccupations. She's concerned about the crimes of the super-rich. Uh, there's a Ukrainian oligarch who she wants to spy on, who's connected to the Putin circles. So she's got different preoccupations. And then there's another character, and that's wife Prue, who's a human rights attorney. And she's not as obsessed with Brexit as the other ones. She has her own concerns. She's working on, on human rights. So she's just actually doing probably the good progressive work, but doing it officially as a lawyer. And, and you assume she's anti-Brexit, I mean, all, all the way through the book, but she never talks about Brexit. It's not, it's not preoccupying her. But having been in London recently, knowing every single person of that type, of, co of course she's anti-Brexit. And she's also concerned not only with human rights in general. Her immediate project is to bring down Big Pharma. And she, she disagrees with Nat about the rule of law. She thinks spy agencies shouldn't violate 
individual rights. Oh, oh yes. No, I mean, the, the thing is, Nat is the slippery one who more or less gets along with all of these people, partly because he is shifty and he never is fully committal on anything, at least through most of the book. I mean, I think part of the logic of the book is he's forced to finally actually believe something and act on it rather than simply believe it and then not act on it. Well, as for Le Carre himself, he's done some interviews promoting the book where he describes himself politically as basically a, a liberal Democrat, and he sees the embattled democratic forces of Europe and the United States threatened by this unlikely alliance of Trump and Putin. In some ways, he seems more committed now to the liberal democracies of the West facing Putin than he did in the 60s and 70s when the United States and Britain were facing the Soviet Union. Is that a fair statement? I think it's a fair statement. I think partly because... The books that he was writing in the 60s and 70s, he was still more steeped in the fictional world that he created, where the Cold War provided the, the political structure for everything. And then he could then write about someone like Smiley, who was, of course, the great Le Carre hero, but not actually heroic. If you, if you follow Smiley's career outside of the books, where he's like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where he's bringing, you know, bringing Carla, the Soviet bigwig, you know, capturing him somehow. If you leave that aside, Smiley in early your books sends people off to their death. He gets people to believe things knowing that it will kill them and still has them go do it. And Lucario was always filled with the ambivalence about that, but it never seemed politically big in the way that it seemed since, I think, since the end of the Cold War. Because I think the Cold War prov provided a framework against which he could work. But once he had to provide his own framework, I think his own, his own political beliefs became increasingly strong in the books. Yeah, there's a wonderful line in the book where one of Le Carre's characters describes the foreign secretary as a, quote, fucking Etonian narcissistic elitist without a decent conviction in his body, bar his own advancement. This has been a preoccupation of Le Carre really since the spy who came in from the cold. His father famously was a professional con man. And this is, I think, prepared him more than most to look at politicians and government officials and see which ones are essentially con men. In this case, the foreign secretary is, you know, may well have been at this point Boris Johnson when he was writing the book. And Boris Johnson does seem very much like the kind of con man that his father was, able to seem charming. I mean, he, has, he knows a lot of the con men tricks. And while Le Carre, you know, loathes the upper-class twits who run uh, Britain, He's not at all romanticizing the spies. There's another classic Lucare line where he says the spies are not, quote, saints or martyrs. Instead, they're a squalid procession of vain fools, traitors, sadists, and drunkards, people who play cowboys and Indians to brighten their rotten lives, close quote. This comes from the spy who came in from the cold 1963, would you say in this book he still feels the same way about MI6 that he did back in 1963? Oh, I think he does. I mean, I think, the, I think the continuous thing with him is that he does think it's a nasty, dirty business serving different kinds of masters over the years. And he doesn't like any of the masters either. I mean, in a way, I always thought that part of the Le Carre thing 
is that he does what the Godfather movie did, which was take people who are doing ghastly stuff, yet making the world they're in so much fun to be inside that you wind up identifying with people you know are objectively loathsome. And, you know, over the, over the years, I think he's tried to make it more explicit. Although Spy Who Came In From The Cold is about basically the classic Le Carre thing, betrayal, it, which is you take people's beliefs, get them to work for you in order to sell them out for your personal advantage. And almost every book contains some version of that al- along the way. That is his sense of what spying is. Yet, as a person who's read all of the books, you know, some of them more than once, I love being inside that world, which serves one valuable function because you then understand like how those people love being inside that world because you're always interpreting there are people wearing masks. It's always exciting and interesting in a way that ordinary life sometimes feels that it isn't. And that world is quickly becoming the world of the past as far as intelligence services go. One of the things we learned from Edward Snowden was about the difference between human intelligence, human, as they call it, and SIGINT, signals intelligence. That's the mass data gathering of metadata of billions of phone calls and Facebook posts and text messages and Google searches. Lucare's spies have all these human frailties. They have ambitions and secret loves and blindness and loyalty and, as you say, betrayal. And none of this exists in the new world of algorithms doing the metadata collection. Yes, well, it's interesting because you also see, I think, see the same thing in TV police shows, for instance, where a lot of police work now really is, especially in Britain, where every corner seems to have a CC camera, okay, is that... The cop shows are about people looking at camera footage. You know, I mean, you know, it, I mean, in the old days, you like you used like you know, like some white guy would go into a dodgy neighborhood and you and you'd knock on the door, and the idea was, oh, you're learning about the city by following this cop. You know, now they just look at the footage, or they check cell phone records. And the spy version is the even more elaborate version of this. In the French spy series, The Bureau, which which is a terrific series and, and people should watch, you you can see how the basically how the tech world is entering their world, yet, yet part of the greatness of the show is you never lose the human side of it. Well, the classic Le Carre books don't have happy endings from the very beginning. We've talked about it many times, the spy who came in from the cold. The end is <clears throat> remorse, betrayal, maybe even despair. There are no real good guys. There's, you know, darkness. What about the end of this book? Well, I don't want to give too much away, with the, but I would say that over the years, Le Carre has, has gotten less bleak. In the context, I think, of spy novels, he's still bleak, you know, because most of them do have the hero winning, whereas Le Carre, you always do something where even where the hero wins, somehow the hero pays for winning, you know, that, that you sacrifice yourself in order to win. But, but nevertheless, maybe because he's gotten older, and at least I know as I've gotten older, I'm less purely drawn to things that just end in bleakness and death, maybe because I can feel myself tending in that direction myself. (laughs) But, you know, he's 88. And I think somehow at a time of, especially among his class, of kind of widespread despair over the state of things, I think think he doesn't, he's not going to give you an ending that's like Spy Who Came In From The Cold, where it's basically all ruin. In the new book, we rush relentlessly towards a stunning climax. On the last page, our heroes disappear into the sunset 
Is this goodbye from John Le Carré? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, he can't stop writing. He talks about it in interviews, but it's clearly true. Philip Roth, I think when he hit 80, packed it in and just thought, yeah. Whereas one of the good things about being a genre writer is that you, in a way you don't have the same kind of literary reputation to shepherd. Whereas Roth had done all these books, and I, th- I think he thought he had had a great 30 years and didn't want to start writing lesser books. Whereas if, if, you're, if you're writing spy novels, somehow you never get to be considered in the conversation of the great writers of your time. So therefore, you don't have to write, so you can just write the books that interest you. And it's probably his way of engaging with contemporary reality. And I think when you're in your 80s, it's so easy to feel like that's slipping away from you, that by constantly following a story and being involved in it, it actually keeps you part of the world in a way you feel you might not otherwise be. So I'm expecting another one. We've been speaking with John Powers about the new book by John Le Carre. It's called Agent Running in the Field. John, thanks for coming in today. I was happy to be here. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.